Somebody shout, it's time to dream again. Now shove your neighbor and say, dream on. Dream on. Dream on. In the 2012 screen adaptation of Victor Hugo's 1862 novel called Les Miserables, there was a young lady named Fantine. Some say Fantine, Fantine. There she is. It's set, of course, in the time of the French Revolution. She was, as many women were at that time, beaten and battered. She was loved and left. Uh, she had what was referred to at that time as an illegitimate child. Please understand, there is no such thing. Shove your neighbor and say, I'm legit. No, you need to get a different perspective of yourself. Say, I'm legit. I don't care how you got here, you're here. And that... In order to make some kind of a living for she and her daughter, she turned to a life of prostitution. Please remember that's all time has ever been to God. Just a prostitute. Just something to use. And we are standing at the precipice tonight of when Father God and Mother Time are about to give birth to the child of their old age. This child is unlike any that have ever been born into the earth. Shove your neighbor right now and say, don't look now, you're it. She began to sing as she was starving to death. I had a dream. My life would be so different from this hell I'm living. I know you look like you got it all straight right now, but I know what brought you here. I know what was going on in your world just before you stepped foot on this campus. I, I know what made you leave where you were. I know the battles that you've been struggling with. I know the difficulties that you've been navigating your way and negotiating your way through. I, I understand and I know this because of the kind of person you are. Some of you, if we could peel back that outer layer, would have a song about your dream like this one. I never dreamed my life would be. I had a dream. My life would be so different from this hell I'm living. I just need somebody to give me a witness. No, I'm not in the right building. I need to see somebody that has encountered hell. If you have not, let me remind you, you are set tonight on an irreversible collision course with the forces of darkness. There is no escaping it. I had a dream that my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed.
And then she bows her head and she says, life has killed the dream in me. Your Bible records these words in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32. What more shall I say? Isn't that the... Isn't that the difficulty of every preacher? Just not enough time. Here the great apostle has gone through what we commonly refer to as the hall of the heroes of faith. The hall of the heroes of faith. There. Listed, of course, Abram's there. Moses is there. David is there. And as he's going through his discourse, with every hero, the description gets shorter and shorter. You almost feel the Apostle Paul being as a modern day preacher, I'm closing, and this is closing number one. He's, he's running out of time and he says, what more can I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, of Samson and Jephthah. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. We turn our attention now to Judges chapter 7 verse 1. Then Jeroboam, which is Gideon, and all of the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Somebody shout, in the valley. <laughs> There's something very, very interesting that you discover when you begin to read the Bible and not just read the Bible. You never find your adversary on a mountain. He is always Somewhere encamped, watch me now, in the valley. However, you have to understand that God's, I hope by the grace of God to help you understand tonight, that God's perception of you is much different than your perception of you. Regardless of how low the children of Israel may have ever gone, they seem to always be on the mountain with their adversary in the valley below. I need to talk to somebody. You seem to always find your adversary in the valley. The reason for that is God has strategically located him beneath you. No, I'm not going to get any help in here tonight at all. I need to find somebody that understands regardless of how bad it is, regardless of how many demons you're facing, regardless of the onslaught of the alien armies of the Antichrist, which are arrayed against you right now at this moment, they are still beneath you. Shout because that cancer that the doctor said wouldn't leave is beneath you. Somebody shout because those migraine headaches have are beneath you. Somebody shout because that divorce devil is beneath you. And if you'll hold on, God's about to make him bend over so you can stand on his back and make your enemies your footstool. 
tell them I'm coming up out of here. I'm coming out of this valley. I'm coming up out of this valley. I'm about to lift my hands. I'm about to praise the Lord. I'm not about to let the devil get me down. Why should I sit here till I die? Heaven's waiting just a little bit higher. I'm going to walk right out of this valley. Shout right out of this valley. Run right out of this valley. Shout, it's time to dream again. Dream on. I'm trying to teach you about Gideon. Watch this now. The camp of the Midians on the north side of the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. It's interesting to me that when I stopped following the crowd, I found the cloud. Popular opinion led to the crucifixion of your Savior. Did you miss that? No, we're going to go somewhere tonight. We... I think we need to just say something right out loud right now. I want especially the preachers to shout it. Less is better. If we are to be in any way biblically accurate or true to biblical philosophy, much less biblical theology, we must understand that God more often than not spends his time decreasing the crowd. You never find Jesus following the crowd. You do find him constantly and consistently running from the crowd. There's something debilitating about a crowd. There's something that sets us in wrong posture about a crowd. Germs are everywhere. Say with me again, less is better. You don't really believe that, in about 14 minutes you will. Less is better. Less is better. But nothing is best. Oh, Brother Rod, but the Bible says, if any two of you on earth agree as touching any one thing that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. Does it seem that I know that? But let me remind you that it was Jesus, our Savior, in John 17, who prayed in that high priestly prayer that the Father promised to always answer. He prayed, Father, I pray that I will be in them and they will be in me as I am in you and you are in me. Stop calling some backslidden brother on the phone to agree with you 
and get somewhere alone until you're not alone anymore. Shove your neighbor and say, he just said that. He just said less is better and nothing is good. Somebody's got to got to. Somebody's got to get alone with Jesus. Somebody's got to stay alone until something from another world comes issuing through the keyhole in your door and shows up in a manifestation the likes of which you have never dreamed possible. Can I tell you that Jesus is coming to your house? He taught us to pray this way. Our. What is he telling us? He is our partner of agreement. The minute I get you into my agreement circle, I have to deal with your doubt. I have to deal with your unbelief. I have to overcome your fear. I have to step over your trepidation to get to my miracle. I can just get with Jesus. Okay, you're not liking this, are you? Am I through the text? No. Uh, no, 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 no. So, so he says, you have too many. in your church. What you preachers cocking your head sideways at me, looking like a puppy dog staring at a new gate. You know you've been praying for some of them to leave. Don't you shout, cause some of you the ones they've been praying at. Interesting that Jesus, Jesus, shout Jesus, you're acquainted with him. Jesus always thinned the crowd, watch me, because of the severity of his message. I pray that God sends a revival to America and I'm not talking about style I'm talking about substance I'm not talking about theatrics I'm talking about theology but I pray that a sense of urgency would return to the pulpits and the pews of America where we would understand that God is far more concerned with quality than quantity why it only took 120 in the upper room to evangelize the known world in 14 years time but that was when Peter prayed for 10 days and preached for 10 minutes now we preach for 10 days and pray for 10 minutes no wonder we have so many failures we talk about relationship, but we only characterize it as horizontal relationship. May I tell you that that cross has an upright beam as well that points straight to heaven.
and straight to hell before it ever reaches its arms out to encompass the world. You better get your inside right before you start caring about the outside. Jesus said it this way. Unless you eat my bread, my flesh, and drink my blood. Okay, you're not shouting me down now. I'll get to some good stuff here in a minute. Unless, I just need to, I just need to set the stage so that you can clear the stage. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are none of mine. And from that moment, many turned and followed him no more. Preachers lose their nerve when the pews get thin. They adjust their message when the tithe dollars aren't coming in. God, give us some men, give us some women who are fathers, who provide and make protection for those of the house. I had rather warn you We don't, know, we don't know how to handle decline. Some of you, the church you attend, if 100 people left, you'd be the 101st. Something wrong around here. Not like it used to be. They left. They left too. Somebody else left. I think I'll follow suit. Why are you looking at me strange? Some of you preachers would do a whole lot better if you'd spend half the amount of time seeking him you do seeking them. Am I helping anybody? I, I'm, just, I'm just parenthetically inserting that Decline should never be equated with the departure of the anointing. You can't find that in the Bible. You can find that at the local seminar, but you can't find it in the Bible. You're thinking, aren't you? Have I got your attention? Could it be that decline is in actuality not an indicator of Ichabod? But rather an indication of the infusion of the presence of God. Oh, you're not, you're not listening to me now. You're not listening to me. Presence departed 
equals judgment delayed. When the presence comes, it's like right now. It gets real quiet. It even gets dark. God loves to talk in the dark. I said God loves to talk in the dark. So God says, Gideon, you've got too many. He had 32,000 and he was wringing his hands because he only had 32,000. He had given a call and some had responded. Not everybody, but somebody. And Gideon was in great trepidation because he only had 32,000 in Sunday morning worship. He's about to fight a battle. The Midianites, your Bible says, are as the locusts without number, as the sands on the sea without number, the camels without number, the fearful count the numbers of the adversary. I digress. Gideon, you've got too many? 32,000. Remove the cowards. Oh, I'm just getting you set up. Remove, remove the cowards and 22,000 left. Gideon, you still have too many. I want you to go down and separate those that kneel down at the street. The actual translation, God says, I'm going to sift the crowd for you. Because less is better, but none is good. He said, I'm going to sift this crowd for you. So take them down. Those that kneel, set them on one side. Those that scoop up water in their hand and lap it up like a dog, set them on the other side. And then he says, I will deliver the Midianites into your hands by the 300. Somebody just shout yes. yes. Now this entire thing begins in chapter 6 because what we understand is this is the time of the judges. I will parenthetically insert that there were 14 judges in Israel. There were not 15, there were not 12. There were 14 judges in Israel. The number 14, as Bishop Brown shared with you earlier, has a connotation. It is two Hebrew words, the word Yad and the word Delif. It means 10 plus 4, 14. It is symbolized by a hand being outstretched and opening a door, Revelation says, that no man can close. It was on the 14th day of the first month that the Passover came. I wish I had somebody helping. It was 
the 14th time that Abram's name was mentioned when God delivered him from a famine in Canaan and into Egypt. It was the 14th time that Abraham's name was mentioned when Sarah laughed and God said, there is nothing impossible for me. Can I just share it with somebody right now that God's about to show up in your situation and for him to do nothing about your prayer, that's impossible. I don't have time to stay. So the number 14 is very, very significant. Your Bible says it was at the time of the judges when every man did what was right in his own eyes. So they would go through a cycle. They would fall into sin, which would then produce slavery. After they were in slavery long enough, they would go into supplication and prayer and ask God to intervene. God would then raise up a judge and bring them salvation. After the salvation was wrought, there was a long period of silence. So it is at the beginning of, Ju of Judges chapter 7 when Gideon truly comes on the scene. There has been 40 years of silence since the time that Deborah with the general Barak had overthrown Sisera. There was then seven years because of the silent period when the blessing of God, you better hear me right now because I'm telling you a thing. When the blessing of God was the richest, Israel fell the deepest into idolatry. It is not the blessing of God that produces sanctification, separation, supplication. You, you never prayed like you prayed when that doctor said you had cancer. You never shot God, preacher, like you did when 300 people walked out on you. You never called on the name of the Lord like you did when that husband walked in and handed you those divorce papers. Am I boring you? You were shouting real good for Tasha. Am I preaching right, Tasha? Sin, slavery, supplication, salvation, silence. So 40 years, they had been in silence and peace. And then for seven years, they had been in a backslidden condition. You missed me. I said for seven years, they had been in a backslidden condition. Why? Because the cycle is seven and a new beginning is eight. I need to help you right now to understand that two times seven is 14. I need somebody to know tonight that where you've been, you're not staying. You need to shove your neighbor and say, excuse me, I'm about to move. Somebody get up and shout, I'm leaving here. I'm not, I'm not staying here. Look at somebody and say, I don't care if you're going with me or not. I probably don't need you anyhow. You want me to preach? Bible said the children of Israel, for fear of the Midianites, hid themselves in caves. David said, from the ends of the earth will I cry to you. 
Sometimes you got to get to the end of Wits End Corner before you find Hallelujah Boulevard. Somebody has got to get to the end of themselves. And somebody got to get to the end of your doctor. Somebody's got to give up on your lawyer. Somebody's got to understand your husband can't fix it. Somebody needs to understand your counselor is not going to get you out of it. Somebody needs to understand less is better, nothing is good. You and Jesus are the majority. I want you to shove somebody and tell them, I love you, but I don't need you. Some of you do a whole lot better if you get rid of some of that excess baggage. Don't worry about your stay. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to take with you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. No, I got to hurry. Okay. There's a, there's a whole lot I want to share with you. I just, need to, I just need to tell you very quickly that idolatry produces cowards. There are three kinds of people we discover here. They're the cowards, the careless, and the courageous. Cowards shouted. I just, I just want you to get in groups. Cowards. Look at your neighbor and you say it. The fearful. False evidence that appears real. Fear thou not. Why not? I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Perfect love casts out all fear. Cowards. The fearful cannot strike any deadening blow in the hour of battle. They have no foundation. Fear paralyzes the arm because it unnerves the heart. I'll get there. Many in the modern church are cowards, and I use that word, I, I use that term in love, fearful. Makes a great alliteration though, because I needed a C. <laughs> fearful didn't work, coward works. Idolatry produces cowards. Do you know why? Because an idolater never sees his false god do anything. Just, just think about your god. And I'm talking about that God that stood on nothing and spoke words that there was no one there to hear. I'm talking about that God that spreads out the north over the empty place. 
and reached into that darkened, blackened abyss and pulled out something that wasn't there. And out of non-existence, he hung a world that could not be upon nothing and sent it spinning. I want to know how big is your God? You will fall into idolatry. You need to see a miracle. You don't just need to see a miracle to heal your body. You need a miracle to prove who your God is. Okay, I'm, I'm wearying you. Am, am I wearying them? I'm wearying them. Yeah, I am. 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 I can tell you right now that I know this is my eight. I've had four confirmations that this is my eight since a week ago Monday. Because for four weeks before Monday, I walked through hell. And I can tell you that I couldn't even tell anybody what I was going through. And God said, that's okay. Less is better and none is good. And on Monday, two weeks ago, something broke. I said, God, if you give me this miracle, that you are God. I won't have... I need this miracle. I want this miracle. I got to have this miracle. I need to tell the world that you're still God. You're still a wet water walking, blind men heap. Let somebody a high five and ask them, how big is your God? the preacher the other day. I said, where's your altar? He said, we don't have an altar. I said, where do you pray for people to get healed? We don't. Where do you pray for people to get delivered? We don't. Very, very soon you'll be pastoring idolaters because God made us with a passion to see a miracle. I want to see blind eyes open. I want to see deaf ears open. I want to see them walk on the water. If I'm preaching right, shout for the next 14 seconds. Be seated. I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to... I wanted to preach you. I wanted to tell you that apostasy produces the careless. Apostasy. Idolatry produces cowards. Are you getting this, Bishop? Yeah. Idolatry produces cowards because they never see their flimsy God move a mountain, fill up a valley. Make the crooked place straight and shove somebody and tell them God's about to straighten you out, right? I need 2,000 people that want to see a miracle in the next 14 days to get God's attention. No, I mean a miracle. I mean something you couldn't do. I mean something you couldn't dream up. I mean something that I'm not talking about you getting a loan. I'm talking about God paying one off. Okay.
Savior. Apostasy. An apostasy. A prophecy of apostasy should never surprise us. There must be birthed in the church a desire for change. The ecumenical way of things where everything is a church and everybody's a preacher. There is an unholy mixture that has boiled to the surface in the boiling cauldron of ecumenical religion. If they don't talk in tongues where you go, get out. If they don't pray for the sick and they don't recover, get out. Or stay in and die. Some people don't want a miracle. I thought I was at Dominion Camp Meeting. I thought you came here for miracles. Signs, wonders, deliverance, healing, salvation, victory. All right, all right. Let me give you some of the names. Judges 6 says, Judges 6 says that Gideon's father was named Joash. Joash. I'm going to be done. I'm going to be finished in 10 minutes. Joash. Joash. Gideon's father. A generation had passed since the miracles of Deborah and Barak. A new generation had come on the scene. And there was an unholy mixture symbolized by the name of Gideon's father. Joash, yo. Not yo. <laughs> Jehovah. The first part of Joash's name is derived from Jehovah. But the second portion of Joash's name is derived from Asherah. He was an unholy amalgamation of the power of God and idolatry. Some of you preachers better hear me. What gospel is it that you're preaching? Gideon said, I'm just going to parenthetically insert this. Gideon said, those ones that bow down and drink water like this, where they can only see their own reflection. God said, you're like men that behold yourself in a mirror. And then you walk away and forget what manner of man you are. You preach in that pulpit and then slither in front of a computer after your wife is done watching TBN and you turn that computer. Your Bible said they laid down on their bed. Laying is a contented posture. Where you lie, you intend to stay. They were completely self-absorbed. They were thinking only of themselves. This is the posture of rest. 
not a battle. Why don't you stop going somewhere where all they preach is some little self-satisfying gospel? Okay, you're not shouting me down now, so I'm going to stand back up. When I stand back up, shout. Stop it, Wendell. Gideon comes on the scene in Judges 6. That word means feller. Gideon was a feller. He was a feller of men. He was a warrior. However, he was also a feller of trees. You will find that before Gideon was called to defeat the Midianites, he was called first to defeat the idolatry of Baal. Baal's father was named El. El. Father God, El. But not a specific El. Oh, I'm about to preach to you right now. Are you listening to me in the top row of the risers? Are you listening to me online right now? Are you listening to me in Elkhart, Indiana? His name, Baal's father, Baal's father was named El. Baal was the son. El, with all due respect to Maya Angelou, who is one of the most brilliant minds that ever walked on the earth. But don't ask her who God was, because she doesn't know. She said God was all. God is not all. God is the God who is revealed in his word and through his son. You see, if, if God is all, then he is just El. And that Bible still says there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be... They're not two. They're not three. Okay, you want me to get off this, aren't you? Okay, I heard So he calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. Do you know that hell will challenge you over what heaven is calling you? Gideon was a feller of trees because God called him to go to the high places and cut down the groves of Baal and the Asherah poles of idolatry. He did so. He cut them down. And then for fear of his life, Gideon was hiding. He was threshing wheat, but he was not threshing it in the right place. He was supposed to thresh it on the high places where the wind could catch the chaff. Instead, he's hiding. He's hiding in the low place. He's hiding from who he was. Because who he was was not popular. He was hiding and there he was attempting to thresh his wheat. But the problem was there was not enough wind to drive the chaff. Do you understand that a whole lot of the mess in your life is because you are not being honest with who you are? You're not supposed to be in the low place. You're supposed to be on the high place. I dare you to shout, I'm coming up out of here. 
God said, get rid of the cowards. Get rid of the careless. Those that lay their weapons down. I don't have time to go there. In fact, what I'd like you to do is just, which just turn the lights off. God said to Gideon, arise, go down to the camp. No, no, don't use your, don't, don't use your flashlights. I want you in the dark. I don't want what you see to distract you from what he's about to say. Sometimes you have to get in the dark because it's only in the dark that it gets quiet. It's only in the dark that your eyes can no longer see the fatal distractions which are all around you. It's only in the dark that you learn to trust an unseen hand. It's only in the dark that you learn to feel the gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit. It's all, don't fear the dark. I will remind you that Jesus got up in the dark. I will remind you the new day does not begin at the dawning of the sun. A new day begins at midnight in the depths of the darkness. Somebody's been afraid of the dark and tonight you're going to get accustomed to it. Tonight you're going to learn to fight in it. Tonight you're going to learn to see in the dark, to hear in the dark, to move in the dark, to rise up in the dark, to shake yourself in the dark. To lose your fear in the dark. I told Austin the other day, I said, Austin, I said, Austin, are you? We have a big, long, half-mile driveway. And I said, it was about 11.30 at night. And I said, I said, all right then. Get up and go down to the mailbox. And don't take no flashlight with you. He said, I'm not one bit afraid to go out in the dark, but I'm not exercising. Anyone can sing a tune on a clear day at noon. Lord, give me a song to sing at midnight. Give me a shout at midnight. <laughs> When the darkness is so ebony black that it makes my eyes ache against the back of my skull. When I can't see any support. When I can't find my footing. When I don't know which way is up and which way is down. There, there in the midst of the blackness. I cried to the Lord from the ends of the earth. And he heard me. And he delivered me out of all my fear. You only dream in the dark. Somebody shout, it's time to dream again. Somebody shout, dream on. You better get ready and you better strap yourself in for the next eight minutes. 
because we're about to see something you've never seen. God is about to freak you out. Somebody is about to receive a right now miracle that was a long time coming. I'm going to shout it again. Somebody's about to see a right now miracle that's been a long time coming. Your God is about to show up at the wrong time. Right on time. Shout if you want it. Shout if you want him to freak you out. Shout if you want to dream again. Shout if you want to dream on. All right, be seated. Be seated. You know, I could, I could preach stuff like throughout the ages, men and women whose destiny should have been sealed in defeat and discouragement, have confounded their critics, astonished their adversaries, perplexed their family and friends. As they stood valiantly in the victory forged in the crucible of conflict, originally designed to cause their ultimate demise. Men and women like this are not born, they're built by their battles, formed by their failures. They're promoted by their persecutions. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the true measure of the stature of such a man or woman is not how they stand in times of comfort and convenience, but are they still standing in times of challenge and controversy? I, I could talk to you about Peter, who cowered in fear, denied his Lord three times, but learned to dream again and preached the first evangelistic crusade of the infant church and saw 5,000 in the altar call. I could talk to you about the Apostle Paul, who was snake-bitten, shipwrecked, stoned, and left for dead, but he dreamed again and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I, I could tell you about John the Beloved, boiled in blistering oil three times, banished 50 miles off the coast of Ephesus on the island of Patmos, but nothing but the wild beast for company, but he heard behind him the voice of many waters, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and received the greatest revelation of Jesus of Nazareth ever given to a mortal man because he decided to dream again. Who else would you like me to talk about? I could talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. again, who said, I have a dream. I have a dream that my four little children will live in a world where little black boys and little black girls will play with little white girls and little white boys. I, I have a dream that freedom will ring, not just from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but from Stone Mountain in Georgia, from Lookout Mountain in Tennessee. I, 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 but I don't want to talk about that. I don't want you to dream anymore. Because I want you to win. Notice what God said to Gideon. Get up. Go down. Where? And make sure you do it at midnight, Gideon. And make sure that you don't take anybody with you. Now, you can take that little fur guy with you if you want. Because I just need you to have a witness because I'm about to freak you out. I don't need somebody to agree with you. I don't need you to have somebody to help you from being afraid. I don't need you to lean on somebody. I, if you take somebody with you, just take somebody to witness the miracle that I'm about to do. Because it's going to freak you out. Would you like that, Pastor? Would you like... This is another witness. I have to prophesy to you right now, very quickly. Your day of decline is over. Period. Your day of... 
your day of decline is over. Your day of not enough, insufficiency, lack, trepidation, fear is over. The cycle of seven has broken it. Look around here tonight. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is confirmation that the decline is over and revival is restored. Be seated now. So he said, go down yonder. Go down yonder now. Turn the lights off. Turn the lights off. I want you to listen. God said, Gideon, go down. Go down at midnight. And I want you to listen. So Gideon went down with his little buddy for a witness. And he started listening. And your Bible said that while he was there, there were two men of the hosts of Midian. Remember, they're without number. And one of them says to the other, I had a dream. And in my dream, a barley cake. Now remember Gideon's listening. Gideon is the least of these. Gideon is, Gideon is unqualified. Gideon is a nobody. And he's in the dark. And God said, I'm not going to give you a dream, Gideon, but I want you to listen to one. Is anybody ready to listen to what the devil's been dreaming about you? Give me the lights. Give me the lights. I dare you to shout, hey, devil. Dream on. I didn't come to see your dream restored. I came to get you to understand that God has given every adversary in your life a prophetic dream of you. He's given them a vision of you. That barley cake came rambling down. That was the cheapest. It was the most insignificant bread. It was a combination of the scraps and the leftovers. But it came rolling down the hill. And your Bible said it turned in every direction. And it crushed the camp of Midian. Do you understand tonight that you're like Ulysses S. When he climbed up a mountain and looked down at Harrison's army. Ulysses S. Grant climbed up that mountain. That great general in the Civil War said, said my heart was in my throat. I was so fearful. As I climbed to the summit of that mountain and looked down into that valley where I was sure the enemy was encamped against us in a great host. He said, suddenly, my heart stopped palpitating because when I looked in the valley, Harrison's army had retreated and said, Ulysses S. Grant, I discovered on that day something I shall never forget. Every adversary I have knows my name and is more fearful of me than I am of him. 
Behold, I give you power over all devils and to cure diseases. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall, nothing, nothing shall by any means harm you. Are you ready? Are you ready, Gideon? Are you ready? I dare you to shout, hey, devil, I'm about to become your greatest nightmare. Now shout like you mean it. God be for me, who can be against me? Have he not said it? Shall he not bring it to pass? Has he not highly exalted him and given him a name above every name? That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue confess. I got five minutes. If you'll shout real good, I'll get done in four. I want you to shout because you already have the vision in the dark that the cancer is retreating, that the failure is running, that the devil is more afraid of you than you are of him. I dare you to stomp your foot, point your finger and shout, get! Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I wanna invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.